0: Letter one hundred and twenty-three of Moral Letters to Lucilius by Lucius Annaeus Seneca, translated by Richard M. Gummere. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the conflict between pleasure and virtue. Wearied with the discomfort rather than with the length of my journey, I have reached my Alban villa late at night, and I find nothing in readiness except myself. So I am getting rid of fatigue at my writing table. I derive some good from this tardiness on the part of my cook and my baker, for I am communing with myself on this very topic, that nothing is heavy if one accepts it with a light heart, and that nothing need provoke one's anger if one does not add to one's pile of troubles by getting angry. My baker is out of bread, but the overseer, or the house-steward, or one of my tenants can supply me therewith. Bad bread, you say but just wait for it. It will become good. Hunger will make even such bread delicate and of the finest flavor. For that reason I must not eat until hunger bids me. So I shall wait and shall not eat until I can either get good bread or else cease to be squeamish about it. It is necessary that one grow accustomed to slender fare, because there are many problems of time and place which will cross the path even of the rich man, and one equipped for pleasure and bring him up with a round turn. To have whatsoever he wishes is in no man's power. It is in his power not to wish for what he has not, but cheerfully to employ what comes to him. A great step toward independence is a good-humored stomach, one that is willing to endure rough treatment. You cannot imagine how much pleasure I derive from the fact that my weariness is becoming reconciled to itself. I am asking for no slaves to rub me down, no bath, and no other restorative except time. For that which toil has accumulated, rest can lighten. This repast, whatever it may be, will give me more pleasure than an inaugural banquet, for I have made trial of my spirit on a sudden, a simpler and a truer test. Indeed, when a man has made preparations and given himself a formal summons to be patient, it is not equally clear just how much real strength of mind he possesses. The surest proofs are those which one exhibits offhand, viewing one's own troubles not only fairly, but calmly, not flying into fits of temper or wordy wranglings, supplying one's own needs by not craving something which was really due, and reflecting that our habits may be unsatisfied, but never our own real selves. How many things are superfluous we fail to realize, until they begin to be wanting? We merely use them not because we needed them, but because we had them. And how much do we acquire, simply because our neighbors have acquired such things, or because most men possess them? Many of our troubles may be explained from the fact that we live according to a pattern, and instead of arranging our lives according to reason, are led astray by convention. There are things which, if done by the few, we should refuse to imitate. Yet, when the majority have begun to do them, we follow along, just as if anything were more honorable because it is more frequent. Furthermore, wrong views, when they have become prevalent, reach in our eyes the standard of righteousness. Everyone now travels with Numidian outriders preceding him, with a troop of slave-runners to clear the way, We deem it disgraceful to have no attendants who will elbow crowds from the road, or will prove by a great cloud of dust that a high dignitary is approaching. Every one now possesses mules that are laden with crystal and marine cups, carved by skilled artists of great renown. It is disgraceful for all your baggage to be made up of that which can be rattled along without danger.' Everyone has pages who ride along with ointment-covered faces, so that the heat or the cold will not harm their tender complexions. It is disgraceful that none of your attendant slave-boys should show a healthy cheek not covered with cosmetics. You should avoid conversation with all such persons. They are the sort that communicate and engraft their bad habits from one to another. We used to think that the very worst variety of these men— were those who vaunted their words. But there are certain men who vaunt their wickedness. Their talk is very harmful, for even though it is not at once convincing, yet they leave the seeds of trouble in the soul, and the evil which is sure to spring into new strength follows us about even when we have parted from them. Just as those who have attended a concert carry about in their heads the melodies and the charm of the songs they have heard, a proceeding which interferes with their thinking, and does not allow them to concentrate upon serious subjects. Even so, the speech of flatterers and enthusiasts over that which is depraved sticks in our minds long after we have heard them talk. It is not easy to rid the memory of a catching tune. It stays with us, lasts on, and comes back from time to time. Accordingly, you should close your ears against evil talk, and right at the outset too for when such talk has gained an entrance and the words are admitted and are in our minds they become more shameless and then we begin to speak as follows virtue philosophy justice this is a jargon of empty words the only way to be happy is to do yourself well to eat drink and spend your money is the only real life the only way to remind yourself that you are mortal how days flow on and life which we cannot restore hastens away from us why hesitate to come to our senses this life of ours will not always admit pleasures meantime while it can do so while it clamours for them what profit lies in imposing thereupon frugality therefore get ahead of death and let anything that death will filch from you be squandered now upon yourself you have no mistress "'no favorite slave to make your mistress envious. "'You are sober when you make your daily appearance in public. "'You dine as if you had to show your account-book to papa. "'But that is not living. "'It is merely going shares in someone else's existence. "'And what madness it is to be looking out for the interests of your heir, "'and to deny yourself everything.' with the result that you turn friends into enemies by the vast amount of the fortune you intend to leave. For the more the heir is to get from you, the more he will rejoice in your taking off. All those sour fellows who criticize other men's lives in a spirit of priggishness, and are real enemies to their own lives, playing schoolmaster to the world, you should not consider them as worth a farthing, nor should you hesitate to prefer good living. To a good reputation." These are the voices which you ought to shun, just as Ulysses did. He would not sail past them until he was lashed to the mast. They are no less potent. They lure men from country, parents, friends, and virtuous ways, and by a hope that, if not base, is ill-starred, they wreck them upon a life of baseness. How much better to follow a straight course and attain a goal where the words pleasant and honourable have the same meaning. This end will be possible for us if we understand that there are two classes of objects which either attract us or repel us. We are attracted by such things as riches, pleasures, beauty, ambition, and other such coaxing and pleasing objects. We are repelled by toil, death, pain, disgrace, or lives of greater frugality, We ought, therefore, to train ourselves so that we may avoid a fear of the one or a desire for the other. Let us fight in the opposite fashion. Let us retreat from the objects that allure, and rouse ourselves to meet the objects that attack. Do you not see how different is the method of descending a mountain from that employed in climbing upwards? Men coming down a slope bend backwards men ascending a steep place lean forward. For, my dear Lucilius, to allow yourself to put your body's weight ahead when coming down, or when climbing up to throw it backward, is to comply with vice. The pleasures take one downhill, but one must work upwards toward that which is rough and hard to climb. In the one case let us throw our bodies forward, in the others let us put the check-rein on them. Do you believe me to be stating now that only those men bring ruin to our ears, who praise pleasure, who inspire us with fear of pain, that element which is in itself provocative of fear? I believe that we are also ininjured injured by those who masquerade under the disguise of the Stoic school, and at the same time urge us on into vice. They boast that only the wise man and the learned is a lover.' he alone has wisdom in this art the wise man too is the best skilled in drinking and feasting our study ought to be this alone up to what age the bloom of love can endure all this may be regarded as a concession to the ways of greece we ourselves should preferably turn our attention to words like these no man is good by chance virtue is something which must be learned pleasure is low petty and to be deemed worthless, shared even by dumb animals, the tiniest and meanest of whom fly toward pleasure. Glory is an empty and fleeting thing, lighter than air. Poverty is an evil to no man unless he kick against the goads. Death is not an evil. Why need you ask? Death alone is the equal privilege of mankind. Superstition is the misguided idea of a lunatic— it fears those whom it ought to love it is an outrage upon those whom it worships for what difference is there between denying the gods and dishonoring them you should learn such principles as these nay rather you should learn them by heart philosophy ought not to try to explain away a way of vice for a sick man when his physician bids him live recklessly Is doomed beyond recall. Farewell. End of letter one hundred twenty three, Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.